tonight, all eyes on inflation and, of course, COVID is now complicating that picture. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Sprovac. Inflation, the war in Ukraine, COVID. It's a recipe for a lot of volatility. Joining us tonight to make sense of all of this is Allworth's Chief Investment Officer, Andy Stout, joining us as he does every Monday. And of course, all of these things on top of the Federal Reserve, Andy, our nation's central bank, trying to cool off inflation right now. So there is a lot going on in the world yeah. today, Amy. Uh, we have inflation 7.9% uh, year over year as of February. We're going to get the March year over year reading number tomorrow morning, and that's expected to come even and even hotter at 8.4%. And now the Fed is in a situation where there's a lot of uncertainty around around the economy, especially with everything going on, supply chain issues in China, commodity price issues with Russia's uh, unjustified war uh, in Ukraine. So it's a, it's a big balancing act, and they're really going to try to thread this needle here. The Fed came out with their minutes from their previous meeting last week. And any big surprises? Markets really didn't seem to be shaken uh, by the minutes. Well, the bond market uh, definitely was a little bit surprised by that because what ha- it really started on Tuesday when yeah. uh, one of the Fed uh, governors, Lael Brainerd, uh, and, and by the way, the last name of Brainerd, like the word brain is in your last name, tells you you definitely should be on the Fed, right? <laughs> uh, but anyways, she came out as you – know, talking very tough on what the Fed is going to do to fight inflation, which was a little bit of a surprise for a lot of market participants because she's usually the one who takes a, a slower role or, uh, when it comes to being aggressive and fighting inflation. She'd rather you know take her time on that. Uh, but with her change of tone here and talking about the Fed quickly reducing its $9 trillion balance sheet, uh, she's, her words were, at a rapid pace that could start as early as the next meeting. And we didn't know what rapid pace meant. Uh, we learned when the Fed released their minutes on Wednesday that they're looking at $95 billion per month reduction in the size of their balance sheet, uh, which translates into about $1.14 trillion every 12 months. And that $95 billion, uh, that is a little bit quicker than what economists and Wall Street analysts were thinking the Fed would reduce its balance sheet, which was about $80 billion, and almost double what it was when the Fed tried to reduce their balance sheet in 2017 and 19. I want to take a quick step back here, uh, Steve. So what we did with the balance sheet, what the Fed did with the balance sheet, they bought a lot of bonds, both intermediate and longer maturity bonds, in order to encourage economic growth and keep long-term rates low. Now the Fed is looking to unwind that to quell inflation. Andy, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is kind of uncharted territory, right? I mean, we've got inflation at 40-plus year highs. You've got the Fed stepping in to raise interest rates, but at the same time, doing this quantitative tightening, right? And they went through quantitative easing, buying the bonds, and now selling them off as the tightening. Um, but have we have they gone through a period of doing that while they're also trying to attack interest rates? Any concern about that? Well, nothing to this degree, because if you look at what the the Fed is doing right now, they did a one quarter point hike in March uh, on March 16th. Mm -hmm. Now what's expected is they're going to start to do half point hikes at the next two, maybe even three meetings. That's what the market is pricing in right now. That's a pretty aggressive Fed when we look at it from anything recent from a historical standpoint. Now, the Fed was raising rates a a few years ago, but not at the pace that we're looking at going right now, where essentially from here on out, 
uh, what's priced into the market is that they will raise interest rates, short-term interest rates, by 2.25 percentage points this year. So, so I, that's pretty aggressive. We're talking about you know a total of eight quarter-point interest rate increases. Nine. Um, uh, not, nine. Okay, yeah, nine. Yeah, I guess with the last one. It changes so, on the daily. Yeah. It, it sure <laughs> seems that way because three months ago they were talking about two or three this entire yeah. year. So obviously that's changed. But, you know, we've got these other variables. We, we've got, you know, China's in full lockdown right now. So supply chain issues may continue longer uh, than, than expected. And we've got the war going on. So, you know, is it possible if any of these variables change where maybe um, maybe the supply chain starts to loosen up a little bit? Maybe Russia backs out of Ukraine. Would that change what the Fed may do? Well, yeah, I mean, it absolutely would. So, but it might have, it, de- it depends on it what effect way, those I have, suppose. right? Yeah, because if Russia backs out, that removes some economic uncertainty, and that would actually allow the Fed to be more aggressive in raising rates because they would be less worried about, uh, you know, a global recession or anything like that. Because right now, Europe faces the biggest economic risk, but obviously, there's ripple effects throughout the world. So, Russia pulling out would. Uh, allow the Fed to possibly um, be as aggressive as they want. Uh, now, I don't think Russia's pulling out anytime soon. Doesn't seem like that's on no. the horizon, but you never know. Uh, on the Chinese uh, side, when looking at the the lockdowns and everything there, yeah, the, if the lockdowns are lifted and supply chains normalized, you know, that should alleviate some inflationary pressures, and that would allow the Fed to be a little bit slower. So, from that perspective. Uh, that would be good for the overall economy and be good for the Fed to slow down because we don't really want the Fed to be aggressive. Because when the Fed is aggressive, that's when you're more likely to see a policy mistake. Now, you could argue they already made a policy mistake by not hiking rates sooner than what they did. And I think the Fed would probably, if you ask them behind closed doors, they would probably admit that at this point in time, given where we're at uh, with the data. But the if they get really aggressive, that's when there's more risk out there. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC. The Fed, inflation, COVID, uh, a lot to talk about. And, of course, Andy Stout is joining us, as he does every Monday, our chief investment officer. Um, earnings season, right, Andy? Right around the corner. Um, any concern about what earnings might bring about during this time of crazy high inflation and everything else going on? Yeah, I think that's the thing that we need to be watching. You're talking about inflation being high, what that translates into on a company's balance sheet or income statement, I mean, I'm sorry, is what the effect is on their profit margins. Yeah. So in other words, their earnings per share might not be growing as quickly as sales. And that's what we're seeing as what's being expected by Wall Street. Wall Street's expecting the earnings for the first quarter of this year compared to last year's fourth quarter, first quarter, excuse me, uh, grew 5.5%. However, sales, they're actually expected to grow about 10.5%. So that shows that the inflation is eating into profit margins and companies have not been able to pass off those costs completely onto consumers. You might think that's crazy when you're walking down the grocery store or, or shopping for uh, online for different items. Where you remind me, well, what are you talking about? They haven't priced the price on. Well, they haven't priced on as much as uh, they have absorbed, right? So mm. we can see that in the data. So you know that doesn't bode well, uh, you know, for you know consumers uh, longer term because there could be more inflationary pressures, and we do expect more inflationary pressures. With that being said, 
because companies can price off or pass on these prices, it makes stocks one of the better inflation hedges because their earnings tend to grow with inflation. Well, it might make uh, stocks one of the better inflation hedges, but if they can't pass the cost of goods increasing along in price increases, um, at some point their earnings have to suffer, don't you think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's what we're expected to see here a little bit in the first quarter, that the earnings grew at a slower pace than sales over the past year. So a little bit of suffrage there. However, uh, longer term, you still have that positive uh, co-movement or correlation where inflation rises, the earnings rise, and that does help the stocks, at least on a relative basis. Now, certainly if inflation's coming in super hot, you know, we do expect market turbulence in both the stock and bond market to uh, possibly persist in this type of scenario. Andy, you've got your recession re report card, and we've been checking in on that a little more lately because there's a lot of headlines out there calling that a recession is right around the corner, of course, with the Federal Reserve making these interest rate hikes. Uh, what's the update this week? Is there any more concern? Have we had any more sort of leading economic indicators trip the red? No, we have nothing new. We do have two of the 10 individual leading economic indicators signal a slowdown. Now, what a leading economic indicator is, it's a data point that moves before the broad economy moves. So historically, these are things that have given us warning signs that a recession might be on the horizon. And we would be a little bit more concerned if we have four or okay. five of those indicators uh, signaling a slowdown ahead. That would suggest that maybe there's a recession in the next three to six months or so. But right now, we only have two indicators signaling a slowdown now certainly if you have some sort of outside event you know it could cause a, a recession to happen now something you know terrible happens with the I mean more terrible happens with the Russia and Ukraine war uh, then, then you know that could you know have some ripple effects throughout uh, however based on the data today recession risk does remain low for the remainder of this year Hey, and that's something I remind everybody of. Uh, yeah, that's our opinion today. But if the data changes, our opinion changes. And, and that that's that's the thing we've got to keep in mind because we get surprises all, all the time. One of the bigger leading economic indicators I pay attention to is consumer sentiment. We've got some numbers due this week. What, what are you looking for? You, you think we'll have okay numbers? Yeah, they'll, they'll probably be okay. Now, not great. The University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Survey not only will they show us where consumer sentiment is uh, based on their uh, pretty in-depth survey, but one of the questions they ask in there relates to inflation expectations. Specifically, they ask consumers about where they think inflation might be for the next one year, but then also what do they think for the next five to 10 years? And that five to 10 years is actually really important uh, because we all know inflation is going to be high over the next year. Uh, it, it might come in, if we go a year from now, if we look back at like April of next year and say, hey, what was you know, inflation over the past year? Probably around five and a half percent. That's what the market is pricing in when we look at uh, inflationary inflation bonds. But the, when we look at this survey, this uh, University of Michigan survey, I'm going to be really focused on that five to 10 year forecast. The reason being is because if you start to see that go up, that means inflation is becoming unanchored. Uh, in other words, 
inflate longer term inflation is expected to rise and once people start to think inflation is expected to rise in the future it really becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because what will happen is if you know think of it from a business owner's perspective if they think inflation is going to keep rising well they're going to start to raise prices now and that's going to get passed on to the consumer now and then uh, workers will start to demand higher wages now because of those prices, and it becomes a, a, a negative feedback loop, if you will. And that's one thing that you know we want to avoid because if inflation becomes unanchored, that's going to probably force the Fed's hand to be even more aggressive. Right now, inflation appears anchored, but we do need to keep an eye on it. All right, Andy, great insights as always. Here's a Simply Money point, a financial plan that takes the long view We'll weather what we believe are very temporary storms, of course, seeing some volatility these days. Big Costco news. If you've been freaked out about your local Costco store closing, we've got some news for you. And do major companies care about more about you, right, the worker or the shareholder? The major move Starbucks just made. It's surprising in three minutes. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Strovek. If you can't listen to Simply Money every night, subscribe to our weekly podcast. The best of Simply Money you'll find on the iHeart app or wherever you find your podcast. One of the most important decisions you can make when to take Social Security will look at the factors to consider and understand the wrong move can cost you thousands, sometimes tens of thousands of dollars. We'll get to that at 643. Costco shoppers. Steve, do you guys shop at Costco? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I actually just very recently caved and got the Costco membership. Yeah. And it's like taking my kids to Disney. They are so excited about it. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, you, you know, but we don't use it much because it's just the two of us. So yes. how, how much bulk stuff do you need? But, you know, every once in a while, it's a really good deal. Yeah. And those every once in a while are enough for us to keep coming back. Yeah. So for those of you who love your Costco, your local Costco, uh, there was news that the Springdale store was closing down when a new one reopened or when a new one opened in Liberty Township. Now, uh, the mayor of Springdale is saying, hey, guys, it's going to close down temporarily, right, for some renovations and then reopen. And that Liberty Township store will still open as well. So I think we just added a Costco to the tri-state. Yeah. But yeah, but you know what happened is um, once once Costco saw what the new development, the redevelopment's going to look like at Tri County Mall, yes. they, they said, "Well, wait a second. There's going to oh. be how, how many people moving into this? It, it's a one billion dollar redevelopment of Tri County Mall. It's huge. Yes, this wait, like which massive is, ten year which plan. Which is really weird. I drove by it yesterday, and, and and it's so weird to see it. You know, basically empty except for a couple of restaurants. Yeah. that used to be the big place. I mean, I, I remember even before Kenwood Mall and in the mid '80s, and and that was that was like Disneyland. You when know? I was growing up, that's where um, my mom and my aunt took us kids shopping every year yeah. the day after Thanksgiving, yeah. and we went. And you would circle the parking lot forever, like Kenwood, right, to try yeah. to find a parking spot. Yep. You would wait for, you know, forty minutes just to get your food at the, from the food court. But like it was so hopping, and you're right. Now it's kind of a ghost town. Yeah, but uh, you know they're going to have apartments and condos, and and some retail is going to go back in there. I, the question I've got is, okay, Costco's going to stay in Springdale. That, that's that's great because I, I think Springdale needs a Costco, but they're going to shut down for renovations. What, what, how do you renovate a Costco? It's basically a warehouse. That's you, a good you know? point. I, I don't I, know. I'm wondering what it's going to look like inside afterwards. We'll find out.
new shelving? Who knows? So <laughs> some interesting news out of Costco, Steve, that I think is surprising. It, it bucks a trend that we have been seeing for several, several years. And it is this. Um, when a company has money, right, and looks where what it's going to do with that, most of the time, as it looks at its list of priorities, mm -hmm. it chooses shareholders. Stock buybacks, right, become the number one thing. We've seen companies over and over again choosing that because the goal is to keep shareholders as happy as possible. Right, the problem is right. the workers you know, come come after the shareholders. And I think for a lot of people who put long hours and blood, sweat, and tears into that that company, it can be frustrating. Well, and Starbucks just did a complete 180. I mean, literally yes. just a month ago, Starbucks announced they're going to do this huge stock buyback program, literally $20 billion. They were going to take $20 billion out of their cash flow and buy stock back. Well, Howard Schultz, he's the guy that, that started, well, I don't know if he started it, but he bought the company in 87. Howard Schultz came back on board and he said, I'm running this place again until we get a permanent CEO. And by the way, that stock buyback program, we're nixing that. We're going to take that money and we're going to put it right back into operations and the employees' hands. Yeah. And I, if you're an employee of Starbucks, I'm thinking, uh, you're saying to yourself, this is great news. Yes. Now, in the background here, Schultz is also dealing with a number of employees that are voting to unionize. Uh, and so they, kind oh, of... Come on. You think that's got something to do with this? <laughs> he's fighting that battle. Uh, Maybe he's saying, just a good guy. Yeah. Right. There's always a backstory here, right? Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, it's important to talk through this one because, hey, he's saying, like, guys, we don't need to unionize. You come to me. I'll give you what you want. You know, look at me. I'm taking the money away from shareholders, investing it into to our, and he doesn't call them employees, they're partners. They're partners. Yes, yes, they're partners. That's the word that Starbucks uses for their employees. They're partners. Um, but, but trying to prioritize that there. It does make me wonder, Steve, whether during this time, during this great resignation period, more companies might follow suit. Well, I, I think it shook them up a little bit because um, – Starbucks has not exactly been pro-union. They, you know, they've been accused right. of, uh, of firing people that tried to organize a union, and they saw Amazon in New York City unionize. That I, I've got to think absolutely shocked them. They've got to be saying to themselves, if Amazon can start unions up in, in certain of their locations, that can happen to to us. And sure enough, two weeks ago in the Seattle location, basically where Starbucks started. Uh, employees just announced uh, the vote. They they approved a vote to unionize at their Seattle location. So what I'm what I'm hearing out of this is, yeah, the guy who bought into the company decades ago, he's saying, you know what, we better pay these people better. We be better give them what they would want to get if they unionize to take away their incentive to unionize. We'll we'll see how this plays out, but it's a pretty big deal. Maybe this guy has had a major shift in his thinking, right? But I do find it very interesting that when he was leading the company in the early 2000s, they had to reinstate fired workers a number yep. of times. They had to settle labor law violations. So this is a guy who has not always been partner friendly, if that's what he calls his employees. Uh, so it is interesting to see how this plays out, but worth talking about, I think, because it will be interesting to see also uh, whether this is a trend that other companies kind of fall in line with. What, what, what I'm shocked by is that they've got $20 billion to blow like that. I guess when you, you know, spend five bucks on a cup of coffee, maybe there's a little profit in that number, maybe five bucks. I'm not a I'm not a Starbucks drinker, but I know my daughter's favorite drink there, which I will not buy for her, is like eight dollars. Oh, no thanks. 
Simply Money Point. We've said before that major companies care first and foremost about shareholders, though Starbucks just turned that on its head. Looking to tap into some of the equity in your home, we're going to examine whether a cash-out refinance loan could be right for you. That's next. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. You know, over the past couple of years, Americans have kind of developed this interesting pastime of checking Zillow because why? It's so much fun to see how much the value of your home has gone up. In some cases, it's unbelievable. But as you look at that, right, how much more equity you might have now than you ever have had before. If you're a person that maybe all of a sudden needs cash, what are your options? Joining us tonight is our credit expert, Britt Scarris from Emory Federal Credit Union. Britt, we're talking about cash out refinances and some other options, but I think there are a lot of people out there that have looked at how much their home is worth and thought, huh, how can I tap into that? Exactly. I mean, you have seen year over year probably 18% or more, depending on where you're at. It's crazy. Increase in your home value. Yes, home values have just gone up like crazy. You know, we have very little inventory out there, not enough houses for sale, and a lot of people wanting to buy them, people having to offer above asking price in order to win contracts. All of that is driving up the value of homes, and it's creating a lot of home equity for those that already own homes. And what, one of the things that we're finding is that we're, we're, we're in, if we can't find a house to be able to move to, to sell our house to move to, a lot of people are deciding, well, maybe I'll just stay put mm-hmm. and I'll use some of my current home equity to make the house that I currently live in the way I want it. So that's one of the possible things that you can do with the home equity that's been created in the last couple of years. You can build on that new deck or that new you know, patio, or you could finish that basement and make your house a little more the way you want it. Um, but the other big thing that you could use that home equity for is we're seeing the Fed raise uh, short-term Fed funds rates. They say they're going to raise that possibly six more times this year. Eight, well, nine times, gonna, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It depends we on the might... day and the time, Britt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard six. I've heard eight. I've heard... Well, we don't really know exactly how many times they're going to raise those no. rates, but those rates directly affect uh, the rates that you will pay on things like credit cards and, you know, variable loans that, that are based on prime because prime kind of goes up kind of in lockstep with mm-hmm. – the, uh, with what the Fed funds rates does. So let's say you have credit card debt. If right now, if, you, if you're sitting, if you find yourself with a lot of consumer debt and a whole lot of home equity, I'll tell you, it would be a much better uh, situation for you long-term to be able to manage that debt using some of that home equity, either through doing a cash-out refinance on a first mortgage, even though rates have gone up a little bit. Um, if you still had you know, a 4 or 5% interest rate from years ago, and now you have all this home equity, well, consolidating all those 15 and 18% credit cards uh, into a new loan that you, know, you could still get in the fours, um, that could make a lot of sense. And you could even put it on a shorter-term loan, like a 15 or a 20-year loan which could still cut some time off of your actual overall mortgage. Um, If you're currently sitting on a really good first mortgage, well, you could still use that. You you don't have to pay off your current first mortgage. You could also use that home equity to do an equity loan, which still has much better rates than revolving credit card debt. 
So the key here, Britt, you're saying is to tap into that equity to pay down the credit card debt, knowing that if you're sitting on credit card debt right now, and I think the average APR is what, like 16, 17, 18 percent, we're only going north of that this year as, as the Fed it's hikes. Up. Yes. So if you were to hold off on paying that out through the end of this year, you're going to find yourself in much worse shape. But if you also, though, find yourself right now with higher equity in your house, the key here is tapping into that, paying down the debt, and then not getting into more debt. Because I know, I know there's a lot of times when you can look at all of these options. And sometimes, though, just from a simply money perspective, we would say, well, it, you know, it doesn't always make sense to tap into this equity. But definitely, if you're paying down high interest debt. Exactly. And there, the, the real key that you said there, I'm in no way saying that you should, uh, you know, pay this debt off and then go run it back up. It's very important that you understand if you consolidate high interest rate credit card debt into a home equity loan or into a new first mortgage that, you know, there's a lot of benefits to that. You know, you're going to pay a lot less in interest. Uh, you have the potential deductibility of that where it's not now. Uh, but you, there is a downside risk to this that you, you know, consolidate all that debt and free up all that credit card, all those credit card balances, you know, so now you have all those limits that are now available again. And, you know, if you go and run those back up, that would completely be defeating, you know, the purpose of doing that. So I, I caution against that. But if, if you want to manage debt in the most intelligent manner, um, you know, to where you pay the least back and have the best possible interest rates, you know, using your home equity is going to give you the best possible interest rates. And you can you don't have to borrow this, you know, for 20 years, you can you can put it you can put these on a 5, 10, 15 year term uh, on a say on a home equity loan or even, if, you know, if doing a doing a new first mortgage, you know, uh, you can still do those on shorter terms and get yourself out of debt quicker and manage that debt a little more intelligently, um, where unfortunately, we're going to see credit card rates going up considerably over the next 12 months. Britt, I think this makes a lot of sense as long as someone is serious about it, right? I mean, either there's people who say, like, I'm going to go on a diet, I'm going to go on a diet, it's tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Yeah. If you are taking these steps, right, this has to be like last-ditch effort. You're doing it as, as favorably as possible to get the terms uh, lined up for yourself. You've got to be serious about it. Uh, any horror stories about people who, yeah, did this and weren't serious about it and didn't go well for them? Sure. Yeah, there there have been plenty of people that didn't work the plan. You know, they you yeah. know, they consolidated all their debt. They used. I mean, if you think about what happened prior to the 2008 crash, a lot of people were using their home as a piggy bank. Yeah. You know, they were going back and you know and tapping into that home equity and continuing. There were loans out there that would literally let them borrow up to 100% of the value of their home, yeah. and that got people into a lot of trouble. So as I say, this is this is it's very important. That you know that if you're going to use your home equity to consolidate high interest rate credit card debt, that you're serious about working the plan. And if you do that, it could be a way. It, there are a lot of benefits. One, it'll you know you'll save money on interest. You'll probably get out of debt a lot quicker uh, because credit cards. If you have a you know seven or eight thousand dollar credit card debt at twenty some odd percent interest, I mean it's going to take you like twenty three to thirty years to pay that off, paying the minimum yeah. payments. If you can put it on a, a 10 year loan or a five year loan or a 15 year loan and, you know, you can you can actually manage it and attack it a little bit better, um, you know, and pay less in interest over time. But and you will see a lot of times as crazy as this sounds, Amy, you would probably see the way the FICO scoring model works 
it actually views mortgage debt and installment debt a little more favorably than credit card debt and revolving debt. So what will happen is is that when you pay off those credit cards and you get them down to zero and now mm-hmm. you have that new uh, that new loan that's you know it'll probably save you money on a monthly basis you're probably going to save cash flow you know yeah. but you're also going to see your credit score go up because now you don't look like you're you know 30% of your FICO scores based on debt utilization how much of your available credit have you utilized and yeah. when you get those down to zero and now you just have it all into one installment loan or an equity loan well, it's going to make your credit score look better. But if you go and run those cards back up, that could put you in a worse position. Right. So lots of options here if you find yourself with a lot of equity in your home, if you are going to work the plan and pay off that high interest debt. Great insights, as always, from Britt Scares. He's our credit expert from Emory Federal Credit Union. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. The four-day work week. Sound sound good to you? Well, we're going to examine the pros and cons straight ahead. Steve, I would say easily one of the most common questions that we get and probably any financial advisor gets is Social Security, right? When should I claim? And the answer is kind of it depends on your individual circumstances. Uh, there's more than a couple of different ways of claiming. Yeah, it, it, 81 it, different ways it, to claim, it, right? It really does. A married couple. Oh, man. And there are so many seminars run by investment advisors out there and insurance guys uh, on, on you know how, how you can claim. And there's no one size fits all I, I think that's one of the big one of the big questions that you've got to ask yourself is all right um when, when am i going to quit working how old am i going to be do i have other money to live off of are you married i, I mean that certainly plays into it and everybody's so individual that you you have to you have to sit down one-on-one and go through these questions with somebody who knows what they're talking about Yes. And one of them is your marital status, right? If you're married, uh, whoever dies first, right, the surviving spouse can either claim their benefit or if that spouse that had passed away had a higher benefit, they can then start to claim that. And there's all kinds of strategies behind that then. Yeah, there, there, there really are. And, and, and I think the first question, even before, before you get there, Amy, is do you think you're going to work again? Because a lot of people, when they yeah. retire, they you know they find another job, and and it might be consulting, it might be being a starter at a golf course, and if you're not at full retirement age, which for most people is sixty six or sixty seven, you don't have to make a lot of money to reduce your social security benefits. So you know that's number one starting point. Is there a chance I'm going to go back to work for somebody doing something and make more than nineteen thousand dollars a year? Um, if the answer is maybe, well, may, maybe you should just hold off a little bit. And if you change your mind, I think this is something that a lot of people don't understand or know about. Say you go ahead and claim at 62, right? You said, I'm going to get my money as soon as I can. Right. And then you decide to go back to work or something changes and you think like that wasn't the best idea for me. I'm going to hold off until full retirement age. If you are within that first year claiming window and here's the big caveat, you have to have not, you have to have enough money set aside to pay back 100% That's of what important. Social Security yeah. has paid out to you. But you can kind of get a mulligan here. You can kind of say, hey, thanks, but no thanks. Let's let's restart this again later. And and you bring up a good point about, you know, you have to have money set aside. And in that example, that's for paying your, your benefits back. But, you know, if you're going to hold off and, and you don't go back to work and hold off filing, you're living off of the money that you've saved up. 
Have you saved up enough money? I, I mean, that's that's one yeah. of the concerns. And secondly, do you enjoy spending your own money instead of the money you set aside in Social Security? Yeah. And I think that um, and I've heard people argue this both ways as far as how much you have saved, either saying, hey, if you don't have much saved, you need to wait as long as possible, right, to claim because you're getting yeah. a guaranteed 8% every year. Or I've heard people say, well, if you have, if you don't have enough claimed or you don't have enough saved, just start claiming as early as you can uh, to, to get that benefit. So it, it kind of really depends on your very individual circumstances and what ultimately you decide you're the most comfortable with. Because I've also heard people say, hey, if you've saved a ton of money, and don't need it, maybe you claim as early as possible right? Um, because there's a lot of legislative risks, right? A lot of things that could change coming down the road with Congress having to tackle this issue by 2034. Uh, no, no question about it. And, and you know, let, let's play this out a little bit. Okay, you, you've got some money set aside. You've decided, I'm going to hold off. I want that 8% growth in Social Security from full retirement age to age 70. I've got the money to fall back on. I can't get 8% elsewhere. Um, you may change your mind at some point. I, I'm thinking of one person in particular. This was a gimme. I, I mean, he, he swore to me up and down, I'm waiting until I'm 70. And I said, okay, I, I, I hope you do. But, you know, things may change. Well, things did change. He had a health scare and he yeah. started to think to himself, maybe that 12 or 13 years be before I break even on which choice I chose. In other words, choose less money at an earlier age or more money at a later age. Maybe I'm not as confident in that break even. Uh, and the break even is usually years. right 80, 81, somewhere around there. Some, yeah, so, somewhere around there. It, it varies with people, but it's usually 11, 12, 13 years after, after you draw. So, you know, it doesn't take much for you. You know, it might be your investments went down. I don't want to keep drawing money out of my account. I'd rather turn on the spigot from Social Security. It may be a health scare. And it may just be you rethinking, well, wait a second. Yeah, I've got longevity in in my family, but I'm starting to worry a little bit more about not how long I live because of my health, but, you know, what about the guy crossing the yellow line? I, You know, it, it, yeah. sometimes it's out of your control how long you're going to live. So you've got to play a lot of these numbers together. People like us, we we have modules, we, we have software that can show you where it makes most sense to start drawing Social Security. But, you know, life gets in the way. Life is part of the decision. Your emotions are, are part of the decision. And a discussion between you and your spouse certainly should be part of the discussion. Steve, you mentioned the client who said he wanted to wait until 70 and then changed his mind. Yeah. What percentage would you say of people actually do wait until they're 70 to claim? Almost none. Yeah. It, 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 it's amazing. It really is. It's and, like we and, so many people talk about it, yeah. right? And it's oh, yeah. just like pie in the sky. Thing. I, I want to wait until I'm 70. But I did the numbers. I'm going to wait. And, and in every case, I say, okay, how much money you want to put on it? Let's let's see how this plays <laughs> out. And I, and I have yet to see somebody, I, I maybe, maybe one now, now that I'm thinking about it, but I, I mean the vast, vast minority wait till age 70 because they just get unsure over, yeah. you know, am I going to get the money out of the system? I pay it in. And you talk about legislative uh, risk. Yeah, I, I mean, the the government's going to have to get its act together and, and shore up Social Security. What if they change the ages? What, what yeah. if they change the equation? You may want to get grandfathered in. I'm not worried about that right now. We'll have plenty of notice, but it's something to consider. 
Here's a Simply Money point. When to take Social Security is dependent entirely on your individual situation, which is why it's a great idea to get help from a qualified financial advisor, right, who's walked dozens, hundreds of other people through decisions just like this one. The Great Resignation has forced companies to change how they operate. One of those ways is many companies are starting to look at a four-day work week. We're going to tackle that topic next. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. Steve, I'm kind of wondering where you would fall on this. Is this a real mystery? Five days a week or four 10-hour days. You and I usually come on very different ends of these I'll say four only because you didn't say three. How's that sound? I mean, could you do four ten hour? You're you're very nine to five kind of I, guy. today. Today I am, but years ago, um, I, I was notorious for staying in the office till eight thirty at night, and about every other Saturday for three or four hours. I, yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's just the nature of our business. Um, uh, the more work you put in, the more you know, the more results you get. And yeah. and, and and you know, I, at one point I just said, you know, the kids are still pretty young. Um, I need to get some better work life balance, and it was a big decision for me to give up Saturdays. I, I thought, is this going to hurt me? And yeah. no, no, people expect you not to work on Saturdays. But but if you had the option, right, if you were going yeah. to work a 40-hour work week, yeah. uh, would you choose, right, the five, eight-hour days or four 10-hour days? Yeah, I, I'd go four days. Having a three-day weekend is just awesome. How about I, you? I 100% agree, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as a lot of employers out there are looking for attractive ways, right, to just get new people in during this great resignation, there's a lot of people who are looking at it, uh, and there's pros and cons. Um, improved work-life balance, right? Three full yep. days off to do things rather than slamming everything into two days. That's huge. When my kids were little, I worked part-time, uh, and so I worked three days a week, and I... I during the time, I used to always say, how can people work more days than they're off? How do they get everything done, right? <laughs> yeah, I've yeah. gotten used to it. Now I'm working five days a week again. Um, but boosted productivity, I think this is interesting. A Microsoft subsidiary in Japan did a little experience uh, experiment a few years ago, and they moved to the four-day work week. And they say, right, they tracked the things, they did the analytics, 40% boost in productivity by working 40. four days instead of five. Yeah, 40. That that, that blew me Huge. away. But, but it wasn't just hours. They also, and I think this is the key. Yes. They also said, we're going to cut down our meetings from 60 minutes to 30 minutes. And by the way, if you're going to hold a meeting and there's no agenda, that meeting's canceled because it can't be that important. I Can you just imagine what life would be like if you had fewer and shorter meetings? Oh, sign me up for that. Yeah. And I think that's right. What has to happen as part of this in order to increase that productivity. A con, though, is that not everyone can do it, right? Not every right. industry um, is built to be able to withstand four-day work weeks. Many industries, you have to be there 24-7. Uh, and that can be frustrating, right? When you're working 24-7 or your office is open on the weekends and nights yeah. and things like that, and everyone around you is working four tens, well, yeah. that's not fun. But, but what every organization and every company can do is they can take a fresh look. Just because you always did it that way doesn't mean you have to continue doing it that way. Just get rid of, eliminate the inefficiencies. If you just sit down and just take a fresh look and say, why are we doing this? I'll guarantee you, you get improved efficiency out of your organization. The pandemic has forced, right? So yeah. many organizations to say, hey, we thought we could never do remote work. We thought we could never do hybrid work. And here we are. And people are just as productive. And I think it will be interesting to see if more companies do look at this as 
more employees are saying work-life balance is number one for us. You've been listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station.